Joel Chuckle Buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent July 10th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Get your shoe shined up, boy. I'm going to run you ragged, boy. Um, yes, I'm late. I am very fucking late. This is, you know, a round of applause for Jonathan Ramtre on the podcast. You know, we're episode 82 right now, and this is the latest I've ever been. That means after 82 weeks of fucking slopping and slanging and slapping this bitch out every fucking week, um, this is the latest I've ever been. Latest I've ever been. Um, I'm like a week late, <laughs> you know, or like... A, uh, yeah, kind of like a week late on the podcast here. Um, I don't know, a lot of things going on. Positive and negative charges. I'll be talking about that on the... Well, I'm not going to be talking about positive and negative charges. That actually kind of made, made me sick to my stomach. Positive and negative charges. I'm not some holistic whore, you know, <laughs> with beads and shit on. I'm not going to be talking about anything like that, but... Positive, negative things happening. Um, but hey, whatever. We're going to get back on schedule on this bitch. All right? So if you're new to the podcast, Jonathan Ramtre on the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 18 years of experience, diploma in theater arts, ups and downs, smiles and frowns. Pull yourself together, daddy. Pull yourself together. <laughs> I was watching Shutter Island. Uh, the other day, that that film with Martin Scorsese, by Martin Scorsese, starring Leo DiCaprio, uh, that coy Mark Ruffalo, Ben Kingsley, uh, some other white man, <laughs> some chick. You know, it was a good movie. You know, one of those uh, thrillers, suspense, psychological thrillers. And the movie starts with Leo DiCaprio face first in the john, you know, gacking up his lunch on a rocking boat. (coughs) Pull yourself together, Teddy. Pull yourself together. (laughs) What a way to start a movie, right? It just draws you right in. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about movies lately. Just, I'm really excited, man. There's a slew of great movies coming out this summer, man. I am excited for... Yeah, man, The Lion King. Live action, you know. I remember rocking that joint back in fucking 1994, 96, whenever the fuck that movie came out. Wow. I remember going to the theater when I was like a 10-year-old boy with my mother to see that movie. And, uh, yeah, classic. Disney classic. And another one coming out now. Live action. Uh, I don't really know anything about it other than... um, what is it? Childish Gambino plays uh, Simba, right? I didn't know Simba could rap. He's gonna rap that song. Oh, I just can't wait to be king, motherfucker. He's like rapping and shit. That'd be okay. Um, who else is in it? Beyonce Knowles. Let's come and go. It's a crazy ride now. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. I don't know what I think about her. I don't know. She's like in that Oprah <laughs> category to me, where it's just like, oh, my God. Um, too much to handle for me, man. <laughs> Women like that make me shrink. I put my head down and, yes, ma'am. 
Who else is in it? Uh... I am your father. Simba. I am your father. You are here because the outside world rejects you. This... Oh, that, no, that's Shredder. You are here because the outside world rejects you. This is your family. I am your father. That was actually Shredder talking to those fucking juvenile delinquents in the live-action version of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But, um... <laughs> Luke, I am your father. Fucking James Earl Jones reprising his role as uh, Mufasa. Well, I'm assuming he's not going to play... Uh, what's that other one's name? Tutu? Or Timon and Pumbaa? So anyways, I'm looking forward to The Lion King. That's going to be good. Um, I'm also looking to once upon or looking forward to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Quentin Tarantino, Leo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, a few other people that I probably know but I just can't remember offhand. It's going to be a banger, man. It's like modeled off of the Manson, the summer of 69 or something like that and the Manson murders. Charles Manson. My mother was a whore. My father was a dental floss agent. That makes me a 12-year-old boy. That was a bad impersonation. I used to do an impersonation of Marilyn Manson. Or sorry, no. Uh, <clears throat> the beautiful people. The beautiful people. No. Charles Manson. I used to do an impersonation of him because I remember watching a documentary or an interview with him, right? He's all just fucking whacked out. He's got that X on his forehead or that, that swastika on his forehead. And he's all like, my mother was a $12 escort. I came from the gutter. That makes me a 14-year-old girl. He's just saying all this crazy stupidity, you know? What an idiot. Thank God he's dead. He died like last year or something in prison. Burn in hell, you piece of shit. But I can't wait to see that movie gonna be good and um yeah a couple other things too um shaft shaft you're goddamn right who's the black private dick who makes love to all those crazy chicks shaft you're goddamn right shaft is the man who's that bad mother shut your mouth just talk about shaft Shaft is the man. Yeah, like, they have that new Shaft out right now, right? Um, they've had several since uh, 2001 starring Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson. And uh, I was going to go see it, and I'm, I'm, I'm still going to go see it. I love Samuel L. Jackson. I love Shaft. But it got me thinking, too. I'm like, what? Uh, what? How come I haven't... Um, seen the original Shaft, right? Uh, I think the actor's name is Richard Roundtree. Something Roundtree. It's either Richard Roundtree or John Roundtree. The original Shaft. I'm like, how come, I, how come I got shafted on Shaft? How come I haven't seen the original Shaft? So then I rented it from the library. Yes, I'm cool like that. I got a library card. Get the fuck up off me. So I rent the I rent Shaft from the library. Of course, that's in, it's in stock. You know, obviously, no black people go to the library. <laughs> we have ten copies of Shaft available. Which one do you want? I'm like, uh, give me the one that's uh, you know, I don't know, whatever. Just give it to me. Give it to me, baby. So then, I I'm watching it right. I put it in the DVD player. Yes, I have a DVD player. I also have a laptop and internet connection. All right, so. Back up off me, all right? I'm not living in 1973. Shaft is the man world. But, like, I do have technology. Anyways, I put the DVD in the DVD player. I'm watching Shaft. Turns out I have seen it before. But it's, unfortunately to me, it's one of those movies that just doesn't hold up. Because I'm like, how come I, like, I was thinking to myself, like, how come I've never seen Shaft? Like, you'd think as a black actor. Yeah, I'm a black man. As a black actor. I would have seen Shaft for sure, right? But like, I've tried to watch it in the past, and it just it's one of those movies that 
for the time, I think it was great. That song, Isaac Hayes, you know, Shaft is the man. That's like a, a that's an Oscar-winning song, movie score song. You know, so it's a good song. It's a great opening scene with the song and sh- and and um, shots of New York, I believe. But that movie, bro, like the only like it's a B movie. It's a shit ass. Mo- not even a. I don't know, man. In my opinion, it's not even about labeling it what it is or what it isn't. Like, oh, it's a B movie. Oh, it's a C movie. It's more so. It just sucks, bro. Like it really does. Like if you watch it, like. Richard Roundtree, the man playing Shaft, Shaft, he's a great actor. He's a good actor. He does a great job. But the rest of the actors are all kind of flimsy and clunky. The story and plot is kind of shitty. It's kind of hard and awkward to follow. Uh, The production value of the film itself, like when they recorded the audio, everything's very muffled. You can barely hear what people are fucking saying. Like I have the I had I had the volume on a hundred percent. I'm like craning my face forward to hear what the fuck they're saying. Like I can barely even hear the dialogue. Right? They're just like shaft. Everyone's like mumbling. Everyone's like mumbling throughout the fucking picture. I don't know, bro. I think it was just kind of revolutionary in the time to see a black man depicted that way. You know, that private dick who makes love to all the chicks. Shaft. You're goddamn right. He's kicking ass, slapping white folks in the face. <clears throat> I love that. But, like, it's the film itself, mm, I don't know. That's my opinion. A better detective film starving a black man. Starving a black man? <laughs> yeah, black men never star in movies. They starve in movies. Starving? <laughs> um, a better detective film in that era along those lines, in my opinion, is in the heat of the night. In the heat of the night, starring uh, Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier. In the heat of the night. Um, Sidney Poitier and... um, I'm going to quickly look it up right here. The actor, Rod Stein... Because I have to look up this guy's name. Um, He's like a very famous... Well, well, he's a famous actor from that era. Very well known, very well respected. His name's like Rod Steinberger or something. Uh, In the heat of the night. Give me one moment here. In the heat... Yes, master. Oh, this um, this is um, Jonathan Jr. speaking here. I am the intern here at uh, Jonathan Remster on the podcast. I am looking up... uh, I am looking up... In the heat of the night, okay? Rod Steiger. That's the actor I was thinking of. Rod Steiger. A round of applause for Jonathan Jr. He's getting quicker at uh, doing the fucking, uh, you know, PC investigation. Cell phone investigation. Thank you, master. Okay. Yeah, Rod Steiger. He's the co-star of In the Heat of the Night with um, Sidney Poitier. And um, you guys have probably heard that classic quote. They call me Mr. Tibbs. So basically, Sidney Poitier is um, he's stuck in this uh, southern town. And uh, he's kind of forced into doing an investigation because he's like an he's an investigator, and uh, he's somehow forced into doing an investigation of a of a murder, or no, of a rape, I believe. Yeah, of like a rape. I don't think there was a murder. I think it was just a rape. Anyways, he's he's forced into doing some kind of investigation, and there's a scene in which um, a famous scene when he goes. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Uh, I don't want to spoiler alert you on a movie from like 40 years ago. But uh, spoiler alert. Go check it out yourself, I guess. Um, And uh, But there's a scene when he slaps this white guy. It's hilarious. There was a time in which I could have had you shot. 
They call me Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> Anyways, go check that out if you get a chance. In the heat of the night. In the heat of the night. Anyways, that's me, actor. I'm also a janitor. Yes, uh, my gams are killing me. I was squatting and uh, bending, squatting, reaching. Uh, I was washing some windows, right? I had my little spray bottle. Tss, tss. Then I take my little squeegee. <coughs> washing windows and shit, right? And my, cam, my gams are just killing me. My buttocks, my glutes, my gams. Ugh, it's a pain in the ass washing windows as a janitor. But, um, you know, I'm blessed to do so. It's, uh, like, number one, idle hands are the devil's playground. <laughs> so, like, when you're, sitting, when you're sitting around and twiddling your thumbs and twiddly D, that's when, like, bad thoughts and negative energy creeps in. You'd start doing stupid shit, right? And I need to stay busy and productive. So, being a janitor gives me a day job to pay my bills, cover my overhead, and keep me in the game of performing. Because, like any business, uh, performing, acting, it takes uh, money. It takes money to get equipment, things that you need, um, little expenses that come up. Right? So, yeah. That's what I do. Hallelujah. I am also a alcoholic. Yes. Two years and eight months of sobriety. If you need sobriety in your life, please reach out to like a 12-step program. Give it a try. All you got to do is show up to meetings and um, practice steps of recovery with other people. Also, trying to remain sober. You can join a community of people all trying to be better in themselves and remain sober. And you can learn different attitudes, different ideas around sobriety. So give it a shot if you should need it. One saying that they have with alcoholics in particular is when it comes to booze, when it comes to, to uh, you know, that wine, when it comes to drinking, you know, it's like one's too many. And a thousand is never enough. So that really describes the alcoholic, man. You take one drink, it's too many. But, you know, a thousand is never enough because then you're always chasing. You're always chasing that high, that drunkness. So, I don't know. It's a cute little saying. It's not even that it's cute. It's more so just a reality, at least for me. So, there you have it. Alcoholic. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yes, I am. Uh, I was recently in Oshawa, 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 Ontario, doing a stand-up comedy show um, this past Friday. And, um, you know, it was blessed. It was fine. I was happy to be on the road. It was just like, it was just like a little guest spot um, that I was doing. But, you know, I got on the road, got out to a different town, did a little seven-minute set, and... Uh, it's ups and downs, smiles and frowns. Sometimes when you're performing, you got to gauge what the audience wants. And this audience in particular was, um, it was made up of a bunch of like, it was basically like an open mic, more or less. Um, an open mic is basically like a stage where performers of different talents, you know, sometimes it's music, sometimes it's comedy, they have the floor to go up and perform in front of strangers <laughs> at a bar. So this is more or less what the show was. I didn't know that when I booked it, but um, it was more like, and hey, you know, it, it ain't an insult to the room, but just what it was. It was just kind of a shitty open mic. The audience was made up of like disgruntled performers. You could tell it was just like, a bunch of wannabe comics and shit, and they're sitting there with their arms crossed, and they're interrogating and just being a shitty audience for all the other comics. So there's a couple ways you can go. There's multiple ways. There's always an option to succeed with stand-up. You just got to find your way, right? 
So I could kind of tell they, they were in the mood of, kiss my ass, kiss my ass. They wanted the comics to go up and kiss their ass and pander to them, which I'm not above doing <laughs> if it's a real audience, right? But if it's made up of other performers, other comics and shit, I'm not going to kiss your ass. Fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, you're one, you're, you're, you know, you like have some fucking, um, some, whatever, what do you call it? Brotherly love. You know what I mean? Like, you're a comic, I'm a comic. Like, what's with this sour puss? What's this, what's, what's with your arms crossed and this sour puss look on your face? You know, you're a performer too? And you want to ice people out like that and be a prick audience member? Just shitty audience members where they just glare at you, right? And it's just, it just makes you wonder, what the fuck are you even doing here? Like, did you come here to have a terrible time? Is that really why you're here? So um, I just went on there, dropped my comedy, and um, it was a draw. Like, I got laughs. I could tell they understood that, okay, he's funny. But they didn't accept me. They didn't, they weren't really a fan, so to speak. They just kind of, you know, they could only do what they could do. They're just a bunch of disgruntled comics. <laughs> it's just the nature of the business. Sometimes you get those shows. And uh, I was just happy for the experience. I dropped my shit, got a couple laughs, got a couple stares, got a couple glares, and uh, dropped my comedy and got on a bus back to Toronto. A two-hour bus ride back to Toronto. So there you go. That's stand-up comedy for me at the moment. So there you have it. Uh, as a 10-year comic, too, right? I've been doing stand-up comedy for 10 years now. I'm in the, I'm in the middle of my 10th year. And uh, it feels glorious, but then there's also those little hiccups. <coughs> so whatever. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Jonathan Ramtran, actor, janitor, alcoholic, stand-up comedian, so, welcome to the show. These intros are getting longer and longer, you know? But hey, you know, sometimes you just gotta spit it. Get the people to know. Give them a little bit of information on the show, right? Let me take a sip of coffee here, if you don't mind. A couple of ideas that I want to toss out at ya. Uh, things I've been reading about lately. Um, cigarette butts. Now, cigarette butts are amongst the uh, highest uh, trash, garbage, waste, litter, litter that people see lately, the world sees. Trillions of cigarette butts are disposed of worldwide every year, just thrown on the ground. And going into 2021... The Canadian government, um, the Liberal government, Justin Trudeau, they put forth an idea of a tax. <clears throat> well, actually, they did. They, they did a um, carbon tax, $20 per ton of carbon emissions. I believe in that. That's the only way you can really get to people. It's through um, tax. Hit them, where they're, hit them where they hurt, their pockets. Because, you know, just telling people to be mindful doesn't really help in a business setting. People are just kind of focused on making money. So you got to hit them with a tax. That way they are mindful. That's way, that way they are reminded, oh, shit, if we, uh, it's going to affect our bottom line, you know? Because, you know, they don't give a fuck about the environment, obviously. So you got to hit them where they hurt. So there's the carbon tax, that uh, the Trudeau government put forward. But there's also the idea of the disposable plastics ban. That's awesome. So what they want to do is get rid of the one-use disposable plastic. Plastics. Which is like, um, for example, coffee cup lids. Um, grocery store bags. Takeaway, takeout containers. These one-time-use plastics. And uh, one thing that people don't really think of, or they may not think of, are cigarette butts. Now, cigarette butts, um, they contain all sorts of um, plastics. 
plastics that are non-biodegradable, um, different types of metals that um, that are they leak and they're they they leak. They I don't know what do you call it. They well, I have an article here. I don't want to quote the article 100%. Just going to use a little bit of the information. Uh, so what exactly is a cigarette butt? Doesn't the filter make smoking safer? The cigarette filter is made up of mostly cellulose acetate, a type of plastic also found in eyeglass frames, playing cards, and film. Additionally, the butt also carries hundreds of other toxic chemicals, including heavy metals, which then leach out into the environment. Right? So this is an article written by Dr. Stuart H. Cressman. And it was in the Sunday, July 7th, 2019, Toronto Star. So yeah, there's a little bit of a definition of what a cigarette butt is. And there's trillions of them being just disposed of worldwide. And uh, through this article that I read, the idea is to... um, Perhaps put some more, um, I guess, uh, laws, just to broadly say it, put some laws or ideas forth to uh, circumvent, to um, alleviate some of these cigarette bans. Like uh, some ideas have been like, you know, people must carry uh, personal ashtrays. Little pocket ashtrays with them whenever they pack, whenever they purchase a pack of cigarettes, or um, you know, a rebate. I think that's a good idea. A rebate for cigarette butts, kind of like when you return your empty uh, bottles, empty beer bottles and shit, like some sort of a rebate with cigarette butts. I think that would be effective because it would give people. Um, an incentive to care. Unfortunately, we don't care unless there's something in it for us. Isn't that the way life works? <laughs> Why don't you look in the mirror and find out where your fucking values lie, you chain-smoking piece of shit? <laughs> <coughs> Fuck the environment. <sighs> I'm the king of the world. <sighs> I'm the king of the world. <coughs> anyway, cigarette butts. So yeah, that's something to look into, think about, keep in mind. Going forward, I mean, I'm an ex-smoker myself. I used to smoke cigarettes. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite, but um, they truly are a stupid thing to do. And the more and more we're conscious of that, it's just going to save people health issues. It's going to save environmental issues. Moving forward, there's just got to be more and more pressure on that. And I think it's a good idea. Um, also been reading about internet shutdowns. Yes. There's this wave of, uh, internationally, a wave of internet shutdowns. Different countries, different regions. Different countries and different regions. Um, Notably, the newest one, the latest one, is in Burma. Now known as Myanmar country that's a little south of China in Asia Burma Myanmar yeah generally stated the government's basically saying yes we have to shut down the internet for fear of insurgent terrorist activity terrorist recruitment terrorist Um, organization online so to combat that the government shuts down the internet well where is the truth in that that's the problem right how can you really prove that and this is happening throughout the world different countries like um, Saudi Arabia Sudan um, Cuba uh, China uh, few others, right? Iran, places like that. They're shutting down the internet. And, um, you know, some people would look at internet nowadays as a human right. 
Yeah. I mean, whether it's classified as a human right, I don't know, but people are talking about that in a lot of ways it makes a sentiment. There's a sentiment for that case because it's like, yo, like that's how people communicate in uh, the 21st century. We use the internet. Information, freedom, ideas, knowledge, family, entertainment, political policies, you know, pornography. (laughs) This is how we get knowledge and information and life in this day and age, right? It's through the internet. So you just shut down people's internet for some trumped up fucking... uh, some bureaucratic horse shit. Oh, well, we, we have to take a look into this incident. And we're shutting down communication lines between you and the outside world. Government shutdown. Warning. Incoming game. Warning. Incoming game. You ever watched Reboot? Canadian classic. Uh, anyway. <laughs> that's a fucking odd one. Go see Reboot. Type in Reboot on Google and watch... It's this charming little Canadian, uh, what would you call it, Uh, graphic, computer-generated cartoon from like the 90s, Reboot. Really interesting show. But anyways, a lot of people are living these reboot lifestyles where it's just like government cracking down on their internet, taking away their communication with the outside world. It's fucked. Food for thought. Yes, yes, yes. So there are just some things I've been reading about lately on the on the uh, international stage, world stage, life in general. You know, basically feeling very good though, very good and gracious. Uh, summertime's here in Toronto. I've been doing a lot to keep myself focused and energized, working out. Uh, I'm trying to get my sleep patterns better. I've been sleeping like a dog lately, man. Like, I'm one of those people that fall asleep with the internet on, yes. So I guess there is a downside to the internet. You can't stop watching YouTube. (laughs) I have that problem where it's like, I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. And I'm just like watching shit on YouTube and shit. And I'm like falling in and out of sleep. And, you know, I'll be sleeping. Then all of a sudden I'll hear like, um, you know, hey there, mate. You want to learn how to make $10 million in 10 minutes? I was just like you 10 years ago. I was a fucking loser. had a horrible job. I was making 15 cents an hour. Then I decided I want to be my own boss. And this is what success looks like. I'm going to teach you how to be a millionaire in two minutes. Get my new promotional video, blah, blah, blah. Like all those stupid like, YouTube commercials on how to fucking Ponzi scheme money into your pocket. Just all these dumb little fucking YouTube ads and shit like filtering into my mind while I'm half asleep. I gotta stop watching YouTube when I'm in bed, right? Can't help it. It's the world we live in. I never want to turn the computer off. Never. I can't be without my computer. I don't know who I am without my computer. <laughs> anyway, um, check this. Uh, Our Righteous Mike. Yes. Our Righteous Mike. That's the show that I produce. If you're new to the show. I produce a show every Thursday. Every second Thursday of the month at Cranberry's Restaurant. It's a charming little restaurant in Cabbage Town, Toronto. They serve all sorts of um, cuisine steaks, salmon. Ooh, try the garlic shrimp, senor. Oh, it's to die for. Try the buttered chicken, senor. Oh, it's so succulent. The nan bread. Ooh, senor. Yes, Cranberry's Restaurant. That's where I used to host. See, I'm teasing you a little bit. That's where I used to host Our Righteous Mike every second and fourth Thursday of the month. Well, all all good things must come to an end. Yes. I withdrew my show from that venue. Let me tell you about it. Basically, I've been thinking about this the last couple of days, and that's kind of part of why I've been late with the podcast this week. Um, 
just really regrouping in my mind the next step of things I want to do with my comedy. Um, it's important for me to host a show. It's important for me to be doing real time, uh, real stage work in Toronto on a regular basis. It's tough to get on to shows in Toronto. It's pretty much a, D, a DIY, do-it-yourself mentality that uh, is going on in probably every business. Every business, people are, you know, I would imagine people are very ambitious and determined, especially in this day and age of technology, to harken back to the internet. Technology has made things so much more accessible for people. People get, can get information on how to be a business owner, how to be any, any trade under the sun you can learn online. And people are ambitious like they never have been. So there's some of that going on in the comedy world. And you got to do it for yourself. And stage time is hard to come by in Toronto. So it was really important for me to produce my own show. And for the moment, the show is on hiatus. I quit the venue. And um, I mulled it over in my mind. I was going to get on here and just trash it. (laughs) I was going to tell exactly how I saw things. Be as... uh, biting as I can be because, you know, I'm a mouthy motherfucker. I can be. I can be an ignorant, mouthy piece of shit. Not to say that being ignorant and mouthy is a piece of shit quality. It's actually quite charming when people are truthful and animated and passionate about what they say. It's very entertaining, actually, especially as a comic. But I don't feel like going that route today. I don't feel like bitching about it. If you want to hear a little bit of uh, what happened regarding the venue, please check out episode 81 of Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. I briefly mentioned in there somewhere about some of the challenges that had been facing me at the venue, Cranberry's Restaurant. And um, today I'm feeling like, you know what? It's water off a duck's ass. Quack, quack, water off a duck's ass. I don't want to think about it. I don't care. Um, But some of the concepts around what happened are the idea of, um, like, for example, right and wrong. What makes something right? What makes something wrong? Right? I've been reading some philosophy lately. Um, There's the philosopher Kant, Kant, K-A-N-T, whatever that asshole's name is, Kant, and he believed when, when dealing with right versus wrong, it's your intention that dictates whether a situation is morally right or wrong, not the consequence. So whatever your intentions, whatever your intentions are in a circumstance dictates whether the situation is morally right or wrong, not the consequence. Some people are consequentialists. They believe the consequence of an action is what makes it morally right or wrong, not the intention. You follow? Am I teaching you something here? Um, so it's basically like that. It's, um, some people have different beliefs on that. Is it your intention that makes a situation right or wrong? Or is it the outcome, the consequence, that makes a situation right or wrong? Well, I was getting confused a lot in the situation that I was in. There were people um, where their intentions I couldn't, their intentions I couldn't understand. I didn't know what their intentions were. I couldn't read too far into it. How can I know what another person's intentions are? You know, I'm not trying to run that risk of uh, taking things personally and assuming what's in another person's head. You know what I mean? I'm not going to just assume that, oh, this is what they mean by that. This is what they don't mean by that. Right? But all I can say is, the consequence showed me that, at least in the situation of our righteous Mike, I couldn't be successful at that venue. 
the consequence of people's actions regarding the venue showed me I couldn't be couldn't be successful at that venue. The consequence of like the uh, the venue employees, their actions and the consequences that came from it, I couldn't be successful there. I just couldn't. And um, it really had me thinking this week because it was like, yo, I didn't really want to have to stop and go, pack up my show and leave. But I was doing things to the best of my abilities with the most professionalism and enthusiasm that I could muster. And it just wasn't getting the point across to the venue. And I didn't want to take it personally and I didn't want to stew about it. But I also didn't want to accept the situation. When you're getting fucked, you don't have to lay back and take it. You can get up and do something, right? And, you know, that's kind of strong language. I wasn't getting fucked. I wasn't getting um, supported, basically. I didn't feel supported, and I did not understand the intentions behind some of the attitudes of the venue employees, but I did understand the consequence. Their attitude showed consequences that showed me I couldn't be successful there. I couldn't win there. My efforts were in vain. So I unfortunately had to pack up my show and go on hiatus. Our righteous Mike is out for lunch, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, But you know what? That's life. There's ebbs and flows, times of the time. And uh, what do you think I did? What do you think I did when I realized, oh, you know, it's time for me to leave this venue? Like I said, water off a duck's ass. Quack! I, I took the show on the road, and um, this past Saturday, I took the day to just scout out locations. Yes, I was scouting out locations in beautiful downtown Toronto, looking for a new home for our righteous Mike. You know? Ain't nothing gonna break my style. Ain't nothing gonna slow me down. Uh-uh. I got to keep on moving. So that's it. That's what happens in life. When you get when you get some minor setbacks, all you gotta do is just pick your ass up and go forward. And um you know, you gotta listen to your gut. You gotta listen to your gut. When something telling you it's wrong, chances are it's wrong. Listen to your gut. That that gut that you've been brewing <laughs> for the past 10 years. Listen to that gut of yours. It's right. And sometimes you got to listen to what, what uh, people's actions say versus what they say. Actions speak louder than words. We've all heard that. And sometimes people talk, but their actions are really making the point. Right? So you can't overlook a person's actions. So there was definitely some of that going on. And I'd like to tie it up with a big bow by saying thank you very much to Cranberry's Restaurant. It was fun while it lasted. They gave me an honest opportunity. Things just weren't turning out the way that I saw them. And ultimately, I'm the one who's producing the show. And it just came to a point when I realized I don't think I could be successful there. So I had to move the show. So I do very much thank Cranberry's Restaurant for all your love and support in the past. It's a charming little restaurant in downtown Cabbage Town, Toronto, Canada. Definitely stop by when you get the chance. Um, it is a quaint, cozy little restaurant, great food, you know. And uh, I'm very thankful for the opportunity. Moving forward. And uh, yeah. A part of that was um, learning about, like I said, knowing when to pull the plug. You got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up, know when to walk away, know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be plenty enough time for counting when the dealing's done. On a long, dusty cobweb, on a train bound for nowhere, I met up with a gambler, and he sucked my cock. Yeah. And uh, 
part of that um, leads me to realize also time management. You don't want to waste time on 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 unworthy situations. <laughs> That came out kind of harsh, but um, yeah, sometimes situations just aren't worthy of your time, and you don't want to waste your time on it, right? And uh, there's this interesting little article that I want to read to y'all right now. Um, This is from the Toronto Star Weekend Edition, July 6th to 7th, 2019. Now, they do a crossover section sometimes with uh, the New York Times. And uh, this is like a, this is like a, I don't know what you want to call it, a, a tag team article. The Toronto Star, the New York Times, weekend, July 7th, 2019. This article. Reconsidering the value of time. How to spend time is a more important question than how to spend money. Time is a non-renewable resource. Those who think they do not have enough time might resort to an unhealthy option to squeeze a few more minutes of work from the day. This is going to sound like a joke, but it's not, a manager told Adam Grant at a leadership class he was teaching. My only idea is to drink less water so I don't have to go to the bathroom so many times. Mr. Grant said that this kind of thinking convinced him that time management does not help busy people, but rather is part of the problem. We live in a culture obsessed with personal productivity, Mr. Grant, an organizational psychologist, wrote in the Times. We devour books on getting things done and dream of a four-hour work week. We worship at the altar of hustle and boast about being busy. Rather than manage our time, he advised people should manage their attention because it helps us prioritize prioritize the things that matter. Productivity isn't a virtue, Mr. Grant wrote. It's a means to an end, and only virtuous if the end is worthy. Striving for anything, virtuous or not, does not go far enough, said Olga Mekking, a journalist in the Netherlands. She said that people need to start valuing Nixon. N-I-K-S-E-N. Nixon. Nixon, yeah, which in Dutch means nothing at all. Nixon, which in Dutch means nothing at all. Being busy is rarely the status indicator we've come to believe it as, she wrote in the Times. Nonetheless, the impact is real, and in instances of burnout, anxiety disorders, and stress-related diseases are on the rise. Those who want to urinate less often so they can be more productive might have another word for Nixon, laziness. But Miss Mekin called that nonsense. She said spending considered conscious time staring out a window or watching waves crash on the shore is good for people, especially busy people. And yada, yada, yada. That's an article written by Rob Todd for the New York Times. Weekend, July 6th to 7th, 2019 edition. New York Times. It goes on to stay basically blah, blah, blah. I want to save some time here. <laughs> it goes on to say basically, you know, we overvalue the idea of hustle and bustle, being busy constantly. Sometimes um, being busy is, uh, it's really overvalued. And taking time out to just relax, stare out of a window blankly, and shifting your attention to worthy projects versus the hustle and bustle of nine to five world, nine to five office land, whatever, right? And um, that kind of struck home for me this week too, because it's like I've been putting so much time and intention into our righteous Mike, the show that I was producing. I was putting so much of my intention on just being busy for the sake of being busy. I wasn't enjoying a lot of it. There was a lot of things that were um, kind of not working with the show that I started to neglect things like the podcast. That's part of why it's late this week, right? Just the, uh, and that's why I've been having problems sometimes getting it up and going uh, on time with the podcast lately because my attention has just been so distracted with um, 
I, I would say less important issues. You know, sometimes we want, we want and we want. And when we do that, we have tunnel vision. You know, I wanted my show, Our Righteous Mike, I wanted, to, I wanted Our Righteous Mike to work so badly that I had a tunnel vision. And there were so many times that I was overlooking that, oh, this isn't working. That's not working. I'm not happy with this. I'm not happy with that. Though I'm happy I did it. You know, you have to try. You know, you have to take that swing. But going forward, I'm starting to realize, okay, now I'm starting to see where I should place my time and attention to harken back to the article. Instead of just valuing being busy and doing something for the sake of doing something, I'm going to value where I place my time and attention. And, um, yeah, I think that's going to make the next step of Our Righteous Mike more successful because now I have an idea of how much time and attention, where to place that time and attention. And it's just something that can be applied to any area of life. Whenever you get those feelings, when you get those, um, those feelings of burnout, overworked, overworkedness, whatever they call it, busting your hump, busting your ass. And I don't know. It's just a learning point that I'm happy to have had. And uh, moving forward, very, very hopeful. Very, very excited. I thank you guys very much for listening. That's going to do it for this episode of Jonathan Ramtra and the podcast. And um, as always, I thank you very much. It's your old chuckle buddy, guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran, reporting live for duty on this glorious July in the year of our Lord, 2019. Going forward, our righteous Mike, we're looking for a new home. Keep tuned for details. If you have any questions, queries, or qualms regarding anything you heard on this episode, please do hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com that's jr.thepodcast at gmail.com if you're listening on youtube please subscribe like send this to your mother whatever the fuck it is help me for god's sakes subscribe like on youtube whatever till next time ladies and gentlemen you live it you love it you realize it i peace